Welcome to episode 55 of Special Situation Investing. Today we bring you an off-the-beaten-path book review that has the potential to boost your investment analysis and critical thinking skills. I came across the book in a footnote of William Green's Richer, Wiser, Happier, in which Michael Mobison was credited with having found the book insightful. All right, so before I get into a typical format, which is just reading the write-up, which is always posted on our Substack. Uh, I just wanted to let you know this book, uh, I did find it super fascinating. Um, it has a couple of techniques in it, mainly this ACH method that we're about to cover that I am already incorporating into my investment process for analyzing uh, investments as they come up. And uh, I just think it has a really profound ability to organize your thinking and uh help you rule out theses that are um, incorrect or things that you otherwise would have considered. Anyway, really like the book, really like what it has to talk about. So I'm excited to bring it to you and I'll just go ahead and read through the rest of the article, which is always on the Substack, and then do some closing remarks there at the end. So with that, getting back into it, the psychology of intelligence analysis was written by Richard J. Hoyer a multi-decade CIA analyst who hoped to better organize the process of intelligence analysis and improve the utility of CIA analyst reports. There is a clear parallel between the intelligence analyst task of compiling opaque and incomplete information into actionable reports and that of the security analyst who also seeks to combine fractured information into statistically probable or actionable bets. I was impressed with the whole of Mr. Hoyer's book as it covers several areas that are relevant to life and investing, including memory, perception, cognitive biases, and many other tools to improve the clarity of your thinking. I won't cover all of his work in this short write-up, but again, I do highly recommend that you read the full book yourself and that you consider reading Poor Charlie's Almanac and Thinking Fast and Slow if you're looking for additional information on the same topic. For the purpose of today's write-up, I'd like to focus exclusively on Chapter 8 of the book. I found it amusing that Chapter 8 also happens to be one of the three chapters that Buffett always recommends in The Intelligent Investor. Perhaps there is something to the eighth chapter of books. In any case, Chapter 8 of The Psychology of Intelligence Analysis is the heart of the book's thesis and outlines how to conduct an analysis of competing hypotheses, or ACH, which is how we'll refer to it to the rest of the write-up. But before we dive into the specifics of the ACH method, I'd like to discuss one more parallel between the intelligent investor and the psychology of intelligence analysis. The parallel that I drew after reading both books was that they each provide a framework for analyzing specific types of problems. Graham's work in The Intelligent Investor gives us the framework required to value a business and how to view the market itself, while Hoyer's work allows us to deal with the broader questions. His book was aimed at improving the utility of intelligence analysts' reports, with acknowledgement of the fact that their world is opaque and nothing can be fully proven or disproved. This task is, of course, similar in many ways to our task as investors, 
and I believe it most closely aligns with the investor's task of evaluating the moat around any business. The moat, a term popularized by Warren Buffett and Charlie Munger, is a term meat to encapsulate all the various aspects of a business's competitive advantage. The example that comes to mind is that of Dexter Shoe Company, which Buffett purchased in whole because it was a fantastic business by all of the standard valuation metrics known to Berkshire's management. As an investment, however, it was one of Buffett's rare flops, as cheap overseas labor eventually eroded the company's profitability and slowly bled away its competitive advantage. Nothing in the intelligent investor could have predicted the effects of cheap foreign labor on an otherwise solid business. But using the ACH method that Hoyer proposes in the psychology of intelligence analysis, we can consider such factors in an organized and productive way and quite possibly avoid committing our own forced investment errors. With that broad context out of the way, let's get back to the specifics of the ACH method. The ACH method forces the practitioner to formulate multiple hypotheses and then try and disprove or discredit each thesis one by one. In the end, you don't have a winning hypothesis, but rather a least disproved hypothesis. This focus on evaluating a theory or invalidating a theory rather than providing or proving a theory is one of the aspects I found to be quite powerful. Typically, we form a single hypothesis that most appeals to ourselves, and then we go about piling on more and more confirming evidence for that hypothesis. But by flipping this model to one that works to disprove our own best-loved idea, we're more likely to arrive at a well-reasoned conclusion. As with most things, the ACH method is best illustrated by working through an example of the process. For today's example, let's revisit one of the show's real-time investment write-ups, that of Masabi Trust. As regular listeners of the show will remember, Masabi is a royalty trust with no employees that derives its income passively via royalties it collects on all iron ore mined from its properties in Minnesota's Iron Range. The operating company, which extracts the actual ore and which owes a royalty to Masabi Trust unit holders, is the steel company Cleveland Cliffs. Cleveland Cliffs CEO Mr. Gonclaves recently took issue with what he believes to be exorbitant royalty fees owed to Masabi and announced that he would idle the Masabi Trust mining operations on Masabi Trust properties to avoid paying royalty fees. For more details on the company's history and the dispute, you can review one of the, our previous podcasts on the topic. But for the time being, you now understand the main issue under dispute. As we work through the ACH method using the Masabi Trust example, please reference the ACH chart included at the end of this write-up. Now, if you're a unit holder in Masabi Trust, which I am, and Cleveland Cliffs idles the mining operation, which they did, then you're not going to get paid. As a unit holder, you're keenly interested in how this dispute will be resolved. when it will be resolved and most importantly when your dividend will resume using the ACH method we can get this problem out of our head and onto a piece of paper for better analysis and the process begins with brainstorming multiple hypotheses 
it may be difficult to follow along if you're listening to the podcast. So I highly recommend you review the Substack article for this particular write-up, which has an ACH example attached to it. Now, continuing with our brainstorming of hypotheses, we can come up with the following possible options that Cleveland Cliffs might take. Number one, Cleveland Cliffs resumes mining operations on Mesabi Trust land in May of 2023. I picked May of 2023 because the idling of the mine was scheduled to go through April of 2023, according to Cleveland Cliffs. Option two, Cleveland Cliffs breaches contract with Mesabi Trust. Or number three, the contract between Cleveland Cliffs and Mesabi is renegotiated at a lower royalty rate. The key thing to remember at this stage is that any possible hypothesis should be included. We're not attempting to select a best hypothesis at this stage. In fact, just the opposite. We want to capture all possible outcomes without bias to avoid excluding a valid hypothesis early on due to primacy, strength of an idea, groupthink, or any number of other psychological biases that might lead us down the wrong fork in the road. Now, once we've captured the relevant hypotheses, we're going to list them one at a time from left to right, with each one at the top of its own vertical column. Listing our hypotheses from left to right across the top of the page will allow us to consider the impact of each relevant fact independently and sets us up for the next stage in the ACH process, which is listing relevant facts on the left side of the page, beginning at the top and moving down line by line for each new fact. Again, difficult to envision if you're only listening to the podcast, but the idea is that you have hypotheses listed from left to right at the top of the page and facts listed from top to bottom on the left side of the page, and you're left with one individual cell for each hypothesis or fact intersection in which to consider that facts impact on a specific hypothesis. As we move into analyzing the impact of specific facts on any given hypotheses, we're going to place a plus sign in the box where the fact intersects that hypothesis. If that fact supports the hypothesis and a negative sign, if it negates it again, an example will best illustrate what we're doing. So we will now revisit the Masabi trust discussion across the top of my ACH spreadsheet. I listed my hypotheses from one through three and down the side of the spreadsheet, I listed relevant facts with the first fact at the top being that in 2019, Cleveland Cleveland Cliffs invested over $100 million in a tassinite processing facility adjacent to and serving the Masabi Trust mining operation. In considering this fact's impact on each hypothesis, I put a plus under hypothesis one, which was that Cliffs will resume mining in May of 2023, after the previously announced mine idle is complete, and a minus under hypothesis two, which is Cliff's breaches contract, and a minus under hypothesis three, the contract is renegotiated. I did this because I believe that Cliff's sunk capital cost in the mine will prompt them to resume operations 
versus breaching contract or dragging the process out in costly litigation. Clearly, we're making subjective judgments as we moved fact by fact through the spreadsheet, but ultimately we're developing a picture of which hypotheses are disproven, which are very unlikely, and which are the least disproven, which is another way of saying the most likely. That we're trying to disprove rather than prove each hypothesis is no small matter. Focus on disproving a theory is analytically much more rigorous than attempting to prove a theory for reasons that are covered extensively in the book. Once you've fully worked through an ACH, clear patterns emerge, and you see some columns with mostly minus signs listed, and others with mostly positive signs interspersed with a few negatives. This final stage is where I started to see the power of the ACH framework in several ways. First off, it prevented me from latching onto an idea at the outset and then gathering more and more confirming evidence for my first or favorite idea. Confirmation bias is a well-documented error in human cognition and one that can cost investors significantly when we fall prey to it. The ACH focus on disproving each theory, however, forced me to be a much harsher grader of my own best-loved ideas and prevented me from feeling more sure of position than the facts justified. ACH also allows you to identify the diagnosticity of information. The example provided in the book is that of a physician who aims to specifically diagnose a patient's illness. Let's assume that the doctor believes the patient has either pneumonia, typhoid fever, or malaria. Because a fever is associated with each illness, the presence of a fever does not allow the doctor to further diagnose the disease, and therefore the presence of a fever would in this case have low diagnosticity. Non-diagnostic information in an ACH chart is evident whenever all pluses or all minuses are presented for one fact across multiple hypotheses. Whenever we see this pattern in our ACH, we know that that information has no diagnostic power, and this is something that casual thinking about the problem would not have revealed to us. Another benefit to the ACH method is that you can weigh the significance of each fact independently and even assign an impact percentage to each in addition to the plus or minus symbol. An example from the Masabi Trust scenario might be a catastrophic collapse in global iron demand. This would be a negative for resumption of any mining, and the impact would be very significant. If I were to add percentages to the existing plus or minus symbols, I would add a significant percentage to that fact to remind me that if this scenario played out, it would be a major factor affecting my thesis. Again, this aspect of ACH reminds us that no matter how likely we believe our thesis is to play out, there are always a few black swans waiting in the darkness that can negatively impact our favorite theory. A further benefit of ACH is that it allows us to consider far more information and to consider it much more clearly than would otherwise be possible. More often than not, we run through problems in our own head, playing out scenarios and weighing one fact against the other. But as anyone who's ever tried to remember a 1-800 number 
for more than a few seconds while working another task can attest to, our brain's working memory is quite limited. As investors, charged with putting others and our own capital at risk, working through multiple potential future scenarios in our head using opaque and incomplete information, is setting ourselves up for failure. The ACH method allows you to systematically work through multiple theories about any question and individually play facts and data off of each other in an organized way. Breaking facts and theses out of your head and analyzing them separately on paper also clarifies the areas in which you haven't done your homework. Brainstorming hypotheses might reveal potentialities that you hadn't already considered or would not have thought through without ACH-level analysis. And considering each fact independently shows us the gaps in our knowledge. Unless we remove the problem from our head and organize it on paper, we might never have considered each alternative or gathered all of the required information, and we'd be left with a poorly reasoned investment thesis. This write-up in no, is in no way a complete list of the benefits of AECH, but for the sake of time, I'll wrap up with one additional benefit of the process. The final benefit I'll cover is how the framework actively informs your thesis and allows for constant revision. To revisit the Masabi Trust example, once I know that global collapse in iron ore demand kills my investment thesis, I'm going to list that fact separately, along with other things to watch out for. In other words, I'll produce a list of information that I'm on the lookout for because it significantly impacts my investment thesis. In this way, I'm able to find signal in the noise of information that all investors are daily barraged with. Furthermore, the ACH is a living document. You can come back to it later and add a new thesis or a new set of facts that just came to light. And because your thoughts were well-organized in the beginning by the ACH method, the addition of new information does not disturb the work that you've already done. Well, with that, I hope you've enjoyed this episode of the show. I highly encourage you to read the psychology of intelligence analysis on your own, as there are far more useful insights than I can cover here. I also hope that you're now more informed and armed with a new tool in your toolkit that can help you organize the myriad facts and hypotheses that go into every investment decision. Between the Intelligent Investor's Valuation Framework and the Psychology of Investment Analysis Framework for evaluating a business moat, you should be well-armed to make your own assessment of any potential investment. So, uh, in summary, I just want to say again, I really enjoyed the book. I think that the method is a very powerful one um, for organizing your thoughts and your theories about the future. So, just like I said, Ben Graham's book, Intelligent Investor, is great for learning how to value a business and learning how to view the market. But when it comes to understanding how enduring is a moat, how enduring is a business competitive advantage, I just found this really useful. And whether that's uh, you're looking at the iron business because of an iron royalty or an oil and gas company, because we've talked about oil and gas on this um, show before, how enduring is the oil and gas business? What factors could impact it? Uh, ESG, finding a new energy source, uh, all these various things that could come in and change the industry, change the profitability. Uh, with a method like ACH, you have a tool where you can start to put the facts out and the theories about the future out, organize them, 
and really see the information in a way that informs decisions and that you can come back to and post-mortem investments after the fact. So all around, just thoroughly like the book, recommend you go read it. And also recommend you check out the Substack because there is that example at the end of the article where you've got an ACH. And if you just look at that thing while I'm talking through it, um, it'll make a lot of sense uh, on how you're displaying these things in the spreadsheet. So with that, like I said, really hope you enjoyed the episode. Uh, we sure enjoyed bringing this information to you. Um, we really appreciate recently all the support on Fountain. Seems like that's the easiest avenue for people to support the show. And I would just say that, uh, you know, any amount of support, uh, even a very small amount, is just hugely appreciated uh, because it just shows us that uh, we are bringing you content that you appreciate, uh, that you are learning, that you're growing as an investor along with us. So uh, the positive feedback and the encouragement is probably the biggest benefit. And then, uh, you know, what little you throw us in the way of sats is also hugely appreciated. So thanks a lot for that. If you're looking for any links to Strike or Fountain, uh, as always, they're in the show notes. So we really appreciate that. So again, just thanks for listening. And uh, we'll be back again soon with another investment write-up.